I had a weird feeling. I was like, I just have a mom gut feeling and I don't know what it is and I can't explain it, but something's wrong. Hey guys, it's Chelsea. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. We are still celebrating Heart Month here, and our last episode, we went behind the scenes of a heart mom. I got such an amazing response, and this week, I want to go deeper into behind the medical side. So I asked Jackson's cardiologist's medical assistant if she would be willing to come on and share a little bit of her life with us to keep the cardiac theme. She shares a little bit of her own personal story, and we do get into some heart stuff too. So without further ado, here's Brittany. My name is Brittany. I am 31 years old. I am a wife and I am a mother of two beautiful children. My daughter's name is Kennedy and she just turned one in December. My son's name is Declan and he will be five in July, which is crazy to me that I almost have a five-year-old that's just nuts in its own. I am a medical assistant for Phoenix Children's and I work in cardiology. I love my job. I love my patients um, as if they were my own. I have my particular favorites, which happens to include Jackson. We're not supposed to, but we do. (laughs) Like he's my baby and I cherish him. I am an Arizona native. However, most of my family is actually born and raised in Colorado. So I consider Colorado to feel more like home than Arizona does, which is odd, but it's true. I am one of technically five. I have um, four half siblings. And then I have my brother who is my blood sibling. He is my younger brother. His name is Michael. Um, My dad was what we joke around as a rolling stone before he met my mom. He was a two-time veteran of the Vietnam War. My mom works in DCS and has my entire life and actually, ironically enough, is now employed PRN through PCH for social work, and she works in the CBICU. With Brittany's huge passion for PCH, I just assumed this had been her plan all along. I was pretty shocked when I learned that she actually wanted to be a teacher. And then I sat into one class one time in high school because I thought I wanted to, I was very like ambitious. I'm like, I'm going to teach high school students. No, 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 no. <laughs> I sat in one class as like, just kind of to view and kind of understand it and was like, this is not the path. This is not it for me. <laughs> so I actually got employed through Banner and was doing corporate. So I was just kind of doing the switchboard and taking all the calls which kind of led to the medical side. And then after my dad passed away, I kind of decided that I wanted to really focus in on what I wanted to do for a living. Hold up. Did she just say my dad passed away? How often do we do this where we just assume people know us and we say these large events very nonchalantly? Well, here at Beyond the Picket Fence, we don't get to just say stuff like that and move past it. So I definitely had some questions. As a daddy's girl myself, this would have been a devastating event in my life. And so I wanted to get into it. How old were you when your dad passed away and how old was he? My, I was just turning, it was my, the year of my 23rd birthday because he turned, or he passed away in 2013. And my dad was 63 when he died. Okay. Is that considered young or old to die at that age? I don't know. 60 seems old, but now that I'm growing up, I'm like, 60 is not that bad. <laughs> I know. Isn't that the truth? I'm like, oh my gosh, it felt like he was so old, but he really wasn't. And his death was really sudden. It wasn't something like he was sick and we kind of planned for it. We knew it was coming. Like he just took a nap one day and never woke up. It was, um, it was just one of those like shell shocking moments, but I feel like given the things that he went through, like he had a lot of medical conditions from the war and, you know, he was diabetic and he had hypertension and all of this other stuff. Um, So I felt like it was old for him, but young for us because it was so unexpected. I was at work. I was working for Banner at the time and she had called me and I didn't answer the call. um, And she had texted me and said, you need to call me. It's an emergency, which she never does ever. So I knew immediately something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I called her back, she asked which, because 
the way that Banner was operating for their switchboard, there were two locations. You have the main campus in Phoenix or you had a Mesa location. She was asking which location I was at so she could send the police to escort me home. One, because she wanted me to get there faster, but two, she just didn't want me to drive in that condition. I find it interesting. Some people get this long drawn out time of waiting for their loved ones to pass, knowing that they're sick and that death is coming. And some people, it happens more abruptly. And what I'm realizing is one is not easier than the other. They both come with their own individual heartache. Death is a fact of life, but that doesn't make it any easier. We need to allow room for grief. It was awful. So it was a couple of days after my brother had just turned 18 and right like two days before his high school graduation. So he, we had family flying in, like family was supposed to fly in that night um, for my brother's graduation. And I was at work and had gotten a phone call from my mom saying that, you know, there was a family emergency. She was going to send a police officer to come pick me up and me being my stubbornness. I was like, no, you're going to tell me what happened right now. Um, and she had told me that my dad had passed. And so, um, when I had gotten there, the coroners had just gotten there to take his body out of the house. And I ended up being the one I kind of took on like the, the nurturing role because I, I made the phone call to the rest of the family to notify them. I was the one that kind of handled everything because I just didn't want my mom to have to worry about it. And, you know, my brother, he it was really a dark time for him and kind of still is he suffers from anxiety and depression pretty bad because of that and then he had um a couple events a couple years ago that kind of just triggered everything again so it was rough it definitely was rough I was totally a daddy's girl totally Mm. a daddy's girl and it's so funny because we we have the running joke that I had him wrapped around my finger since the day I was born and that could not have been more true So we have these people in our lives, you know, my son's cardiologist's medical assistant, who to me was just that. Isn't it crazy how everyone has something huge like this behind what we see? I'm so grateful she was willing to share this with me. And she assured me she'd be there for me when this happens to me in the future. And now that we know a little bit beyond her picket fence, let's go back to her career path. I just started working at Banner. I found it on... Honestly, I think I found it on Craigslist, ironically enough, which is so weird. Um, But that's when Craigslist was like the place to find jobs. So I found it on Craigslist. I applied having no clue what I was applying for, got the call back and that was kind of it. So I I, I really liked it. It was very interesting to hear the different calls that would come in. And sometimes you got to talk to the patients and, you know, if they were bored, they would call the switchboard just to talk to somebody, which was really interesting. So I worked there for a few years and then took a position at a um, plastic surgeon's office. And when I was at the plastic surgeon's office, they had me doing things that would technically be qualified under the medical assistant and the nurse scope of practice, like assisting in procedures. And I had no medical training. So I felt super kind of uncomfortable with it, but intrigued at the same time. So when I left that job, that's when I decided that that was kind of the path I wanted to go down. I wanted to actually understand the things that I was kind of getting thrown into at that job and you know what does it all mean and how does it operate and it was really that was kind of like the push that I needed to kind of pursue the medical aspect of everything. Due to the location and many other factors that help people decide to leave jobs, (laughs) Brittany moved on into Pima Medical Institute and during all of this time she met her husband. I met my husband my first semester of Pima. He was actually just finishing up a date with somebody else. I was hanging out with a friend that we were in Pima together and she wanted to go hang out with some mutual friends and I agreed. And we had one of the guys that she was kind of dating, not really sure where she wanted to go with it. She's like, well, he's going to pick us up and we're going to go hang out for a bit. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. Well, what we didn't realize was that I am her then friend had been drinking so he had actually asked my husband to drive instead to come pick us up because he was uncomfortable getting behind the wheel my husband had just dropped off his date that he was on he's like yeah I guess I can go ahead he's like I have to work in the morning I'll go we'll pick them up and then I'm gonna go home afterwards and according to him we parked the car and he hadn't seen me yet. And I had gotten out of the car and I walked across the front of the car and he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go home. I think I'm going to stay. We had not left each other's side since that night. 
Oh, I got goosebumps. Love is my favorite. I love love. (laughs) (laughs) Her husband was working for an airport and is currently working for that same airport as well as going to school. Now with some background on her husband, I wanted to know what happened next for her. I finished and I graduated Pima, which was a huge accomplishment because my grandfather was the one who kind of always pushed, like he was one of those people that just walked on water to me and he was the greatest man on the entire planet. And he was the one who pushed me to go to school in the first place and was very encouraging. Um, And he actually ended up passing away while I was in school. Since I had already interrogated her about her father, I decided to let this one go. So he was like the big motivation that my mom kind of utilized and was like, you know, remember why you're doing this. Remember who you're doing this for. Like he would want you to go through this and, you know, graduate and go on to better things. So that's what I did. And with medical assisting, you go through an externship where it's unpaid, but it's your way of getting experience in the actual field before you start applying for jobs. And you do that prior to you actually accepting your diploma. So I got hired on with my externship, which was cardiology. Um, It was adult cardiology. And the hysterical part is it was the furthest thing that I wanted to do. I did not (laughs) want to do cardiology. I was like, I hate EKGs. I hate everything about it. Like this is so obnoxious. And um, they were the first ones that picked me. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to give it a shot. Did my externship still was like completely determined that I was like, I hate cardiology. I can't do this. This is not my journey. And I graduated and actually went into uh, primary care for a Queen Creek office and realized that I, I, I couldn't do primary care. Like the idea of just like your day-to-day, like cough, cold, like it was so lackluster. Like there was just nothing exciting about it. And that's kind of when I realized, like, I want to work in peds, but I don't want to do your day-to-day stuff. Like, it just was so dull. Yeah. So I actually left that job and got hired on with another job for the irony of all of it is just comical. I got hired on with another practice, and it was a multi-specialty practice, and they hired me on as the MA for the surgeon there, a general surgeon, and I was like, okay, great, like, this is really interesting stuff, like, I'm so excited, and when I got hired on, they said, well, the general surgeon doesn't start for a couple of months because he's transferring from a different um, state. In the meantime, while we're in the process of hiring someone, we need you to be an MA for a different doctor. And I was like, okay, great. Like, you know, that's fine. I've I've got nothing else to do for the next couple months, but wait, I might as well. Well, it was a cardiologist. Sometimes you get to choose your path and sometimes your path chooses you. And I'm like, oh, and I had told them this is not permanent. I am only doing this to get me through until that, that doctor gets here. And that cardiologist ended up being like family to me. He was wonderful and taught me everything that I needed to know about cardiology from being able to interpret EKGs to understanding the signs and symptoms of someone's having a heart attack or if their blood pressure is abnormal, what to do in those situations. Like it was so educational and so incredible that it actually made me fall in love with cardiology. Yay. I'm so grateful. <laughs> right. I'm like, he's the one that was like, yeah, but no, this is actually your destiny. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> so did you end up having to work for that other doctor or did you tell, let them know? I let them know. I said, you know what? I am very happy where I'm at. I'm very comfortable with where I'm at and I'd like to stay here. So they ended up hiring a different MA for that other doctor when he came and I stuck with cardiology. Some of you may already know what the MA job title really is, but for those of you that are like me and very limited in your medical knowledge, here's a job description for you. Basically, a medical assistant is, I, the schooling that I went through was nine months, and I learned everything from the EMR system, like how to chart, how to document, how to maneuver through a, a hospital um, system to how to do an EKG, how to take basic vitals, how to understand basic vitals. I am trained to be able to draw blood if I need to draw blood on a patient. 
the best way that my um, teacher used to describe it is it's a nurse, but for the doctor's office. While I can't do IVs, there's, there's definitely a ton of stuff nurses can do that is not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my realm. And I applaud them immensely for it. We're like the nurse for the clinic essentially is how it's best described. So I handle everything from prepping the physician's charts to making sure that all the testing is complete, making sure all the testing is ordered properly, making sure that the prescriptions are completely filled, that everything is updated in the system. If you're having issues or, you know, if Jackson's having issues, you call me and let me know this, these are his symptoms and I can either direct you or talk to the physician. We handle a, a very broad spectrum of things, including the medication. If you already knew that, go you. For those of you that didn't know, now you know. So now she knew she loved cardiology, but she still wanted to work in peds. So I was working with a cardiologist and I still decided that I wanted to work in peds. Like that's kind of where I knew I wanted to end up. I wanted to end up working with kids. I love kids, like just their light, their happiness, their positivity. Like I just knew that that's the direction that I wanted to go. So while working for the cardiologist, I was applying incessantly to Phoenix Children's because I knew that's where I wanted to end up. I did not want to work for Banner Cardins. I wanted to work for PCH. I must have sent in well over 12 applications to PCH before I finally got a call back. And ironically enough, it was not cardiology that I applied to. It was a multi-specialty clinic. So the timing worked out great because that cardiologist that I was working for was actually moving to Tucson. And so the transition just kind of worked out in everybody's favor. So I ended up taking a job with Phoenix Children's at a multi-specialty clinic, which is still around um, in the East Valley. But I worked with them for probably a little bit over a year because I had just gotten pregnant with Declan right before I transitioned over. So I started with PCH in November of 2016. I found out that I, or yeah, end of November of 2016, I had found out that I was pregnant with Declan in beginning of November of 2016. Fun fact, even though Brittany and I didn't know each other yet, we were both pregnant with our little baby boys together. How fun is that? Yes, I got pregnant. I switched over to PCH. I worked in a multi-specialty clinic for about a year. And then I found this random pop-up while browsing through the job descriptions on PCH for you. And it was for cardiology and it was for this little Gilbert clinic on Gilbert and Baseline. And I thought, you know, I loved cardiology. What the heck? Why not? And I, um, before I even applied, so because we were so slow at the multi-specialty clinic, they had us floating out to other clinics to help with coverage. And they had sent me to the Gilbert clinic. And I remember because I didn't know where the EKG machine was. I was so lost. <laughs> I didn't even know where the lights were to switch on the lights in order to like room the patients. Oh my gosh. And the, oh my gosh. I looked like a, like a kid just totally like, I was like a chicken with a head cut off. It was ridiculous. And ironically enough, it was Dr. Garn that I was rooming for. And it was my first time meeting him. And all I kept thinking was, holy cow, you were so tall. <laughs> you are <laughs> He was so tall and he was so sweet and was so helpful. And I had left the clinic. I had thanked the staff for all of their immaculate help. I thought they were wonderful. And then I fell in love with it so much. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and apply. Why not? What's, what's the harm? What could it do? Um, and I, I guess that after I had left, I had made an impression on some of the staff. So they had actually reached out to their manager who is still my manager to this day to let them know that they liked me a lot. And, you know, basically could they snag me from the other specialty? <laughs> I go on maternity leave, I come back. And that's um, when I decided to go ahead and switch professions. And that's when I went into cardiology. It was right after my son was born. It was okay. like, he was only a few months, honestly. I think he may have been four months. And I was like, yeah, no, we're done. Like, we're going to go ahead and go into cardio. Being a heart mom, I totally understand my side of the heart journey, but I asked Brittany, does it take a toll on your life being the medical side of the heart patient? I'm kind of used to it. There's every now and again, there's one, like there's a patient that'll kind of get to you. Like I had one that 
was just fresh out of open heart surgery. Um, the incision hadn't completely healed. So it was a little bit open on the bottom. So having to like do the EKG and go through the process of that while the baby's screaming and I'm looking at like the incision, like that was really tough. Um, every now and again, it, it does get a little, a little emotional, but for the most part, I just remember that they're warriors. They're so tough. So these little EKG leads, it's nothing compared to what these kids have gone through. And I try to remind, remind them of that when they're screaming and kicking and wanting to bite my hands. <laughs> these are, this is so much easier. And this is the easiest appointment that you're ever going to go to compared to the others. And do you notice like a trend of, for Jackson, it was like, he was a super baby, didn't really care. And then as he got bigger, it got more traumatic. And then he would have to do those echoes and it was awful. And I'd have to hold him and he'd be screaming during the EKGs. And then there was like an age when he's like more curious, tugging on things. And now he's at the point where he's just like used to it. Is that pretty similar for all kids or is it just complete? Am I just crazy to think that? (laughs) It's also very circumstantial, just depending on how many open heart surgeries they've had, like how many hospitalizations they've had. Um, Like in Jackson's case, like it was what he was fine as a baby. And then he got to like pre-toddler years like one maybe one and a half one in like eight months where it was so traumatic and I was like you're not gonna let me touch you are you like you're not gonna little baby bonds not calming you down your big sis isn't calming you down like nothing is working and then I think like once he hit like two two and a half it was more so like well, these are fun colors. Like, what does this do? And can I yank this off? And that across the board is pretty common. Like once they hit like the two and a half, three stages, usually when it gets a little bit simpler of like, they just kind of want to understand what's happening. So like walking them through like the leads and saying, okay, well, let's play colors. Like there's colors on all of these. Let's play colors. And she is so amazing at this. Every time I took Jackson back after his second surgery, he would freak out. And I remember Brittany telling me I could hold him. Another incredible thing that Brittany does, and all peds medical professionals should do it, is speak to the patient. Brittany was one of the first people I remember speaking straight to Jackson before touching or doing anything to him, even maybe before addressing me. This should be the standard. She really tried her best to figure out what would work for Jackson and how to make him comfortable, which I really appreciated. I do remember that because it was the flip of the switch where I was like, oh, okay, so this is what we need to do. Got it. No worries. And he has been fine ever since. He's been such a rock star. I noticed one of my downfalls doing these interviews is that I interrupt a lot. So I don't know where that last thought was going. Um, But this took me into the memory of how I'd never really knew who Brittany was. And it took me a long time to figure out she was the same person I was talking to on the phone. I remember the first time that we met because Dr. Garn had said, I have this patient coming in. This is the circumstance. Like mom is extremely sweet. Dad is great. Like he was very, he kind of like led up to it. And he does this with a couple of patients that he's very fond of. Uh, This is the circumstance. This is what you need to know. Like, you know, in case I have any questions or concerns. And I was like, okay, great. And, um, I remember looking at Jackson and all I kept thinking was, oh my gosh, you're Declan's age. Oh my gosh, you're his size. Like, and it was one of those, like, I almost like gravitated to him. And I was so just like, you know what? You are my favorite. Like, I remember telling Dr. Gar when you guys left, I was like, I know we're not supposed to have favorites. I understand that. He is my favorite patient. Like, I'm just laying that out there now. And I remember when you finally realized that I was the one you were talking to because your husband was with you in the appointment. This was like pre-COVID. And you had questions about the medication. And Dr. Rowan's like, hey, can you just go in really quick and have a chat with her? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. So I walked in. You were like, oh, oh, you're Brittany. And I was like, yeah. You're like, I know you. I've been seeing you every day. You're like, I didn't, I I think your phrase was like, I always thought that you worked in a different office. I didn't know that you were here. And I was like, yeah, it's me. I was just thinking like you were, I don't know. I was just thinking that I was talking to some random person in like one of the little secretary offices that, you know, there's so many offices and you never know any, I don't know. I didn't know where you came from when, because because you had helped me with the medicines when I got out of the hospital. So I was connecting you to the hospital, like the phone, the yeah. Brittany I talked to on the phone, worked at the hospital. And then there was this really nice girl 
at the office that I loved. <laughs> yes. It was so funny. Cause I do remember like the exact moment I walked in you were like, Oh, Oh, you're Brittany. And I was like, yeah. You're like, I always thought you worked out at a bit different office. And I was like, oh no, I'm here. <laughs> I hope I didn't ever offend you when I didn't know who you were. Oh my gosh. No, not at all. I thought it was hilarious. It was great. So now we're to the part of Brittany's story where I'm involved and I wanted to know more what was going on behind her life when I was going through the worst part of my life and her life was pretty great. She actually ended up getting married. We got engaged in 2018. The, the sad way that I remember this is my brother was in a really tragic car or a motorcycle accident oh. and that and Declan was uh, hospitalized for RSV and we got engaged prior to the two months of spiral afterwards so that's kind of how it's sad but that's how I associate it well it was going great until her child was hospitalized anytime your child is hospitalized it is terrifying so I wanted to know more he was in the hospital in 2008 18 for RSV. He was hospitalized at about eight months. So he was hospitalized for a week. Um, it was did one that of those scare that, you or did you feel like I'm a nurse? I got this. Well, you're not a nurse. You're an MA. You're an MA. I got I, this. <laughs> I felt comforted in the fact that I knew enough to get me through it, but it was also, you know, see, you know, better than anyone seeing your son, like hooked up to all these IVs and all of these like different machines going. It's like, it's terrifying for any parent. And I remember, I remember when he was sick initially, we took him into the pediatrician and the pediatrician was like, Oh no, it's a, it's a respiratory illness. It'll go away. And we're like, okay, great. No worries. And I remember a couple of days later, my husband, who is very like, unless you're bleeding or whatever, don't go to the doctor. Like he's very like stoic in that way. I remember him calling me and saying, something's off. Like he just doesn't look good. And I said, okay, well, I'm off in a couple of minutes. Like, why don't you just drive him over to the urgent care over at Phoenix Children's and I'll have one of the doctors that I know take a look at him. And I remember the doctor walking in and I remember her name is Dr. Robbie. And actually when I pick up urgent care shifts um, every now and again, I still work with her and I still like to remind her of these moments. (laughs) But I remember her walking in and I remember her taking a listen to him. And my husband has said like, you know, he, he is on a breathing treatment. And she goes, did you give him a breathing treatment? And he goes, yeah, he had one right before we came in. And she goes, and he still sounds like this. And so she hooked him up to oxygen, to a monitor. She gave, gave him a breathing treatment again. And I remember her saying, you need to be transported and it has to be via ambulance. You cannot drive oh, because no. his oxygen, mm-hmm, his oxygen was holding steady at 94 and he was on like three liters of O2. Yeah, it was oh very excessive. So I remember watching his a tiny little body in that tiny little car seat strapped down to that stretcher and driving off and I remember saying oh we're gonna go to Cardin's and I said absolutely not you're not and I remember specifying are we getting admitted or going to the ER and they said you're getting admitted and I was like then you're going to Mercy Gilbert because I have a Phoenix children's wing like you will not be taking me to banner <laughs> and he was there for a week and oh my and they, I remember getting there. I remember the nurses trying to start an IV and he was so severely dehydrated. They blew four of his veins. Um, and in true mama bear fashion, I raised all kinds of think about it and said, you will get an IV team here because I know we have them. Um, and I remember the charge nurse coming in and saying, I would like to try. I haven't tried. And if I don't get it once, I will call the IV team. And they said, okay. Because her confidence was enough for me to say, okay, I'm willing to let you try. She got it on the first shot. Oh, good. Yeah. And I remember so frustrating. That's very frustrating. Oh my gosh. No kidding. I'm like, no, no. And, and I get it. Like, I understand, like, it's not necessarily the nurse's fault when they can't access those kinds of things. Like, you know, he was dehydrated. His veins were collapsing. Like it's difficult, but when you blow it four times, like. I'm not going to let you try a fifth. Yeah. There should be like a rule or a number. Like if two people can't get it, it's time to call the team. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So thankfully that charge nurse was amazing and she was so stinking good at her job. So she was able to access it and get it. No problem. Um, and then I, he wasn't feeding well. So I remember actually, I, I 
I don't recommend to anyone medical listening, but I, I made a personal call to one of the GI doctors because they were like, oh, he's fine. Like he doesn't need an NG tube. And I'm like, okay. So then I called his GI doctor with PCH and he called the hospital and said, you put an NG tube in him now. <laughs> so I love it. I, I pulled, I'm like, I pulled power rank. I'm not even going to pretend like I didn't there. I was like, okay, yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Oh man, that's scary. RSV is no joke. And so did you have to oh my stay gosh. at the hospital with him or did you leave him and go home and then come back like for visiting hours? I, I stayed the entire week. I stayed on that tiny little cot in that tiny little room and my husband stayed with me. So we basically tried to play Tetris trying to figure out how we were sleeping on that tiny little thing. <sighs> um, but yeah, we stayed the entire week with him until he was discharged. Aw, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. like (laughs) oh I'm sure oh my gosh no kidding (laughs) I'm it's something different because I have met people who people whose kids go straight from like labor and delivery into the hospital and it feels like it's a little easier for them to go home and leave their kid because when Jackson was in the NICU I left all the time and then well I don't even think I could stay anyway and then like right. I had him home for four months. So I got to have a normal baby for four months. And then all of a sudden he was stuck in a hospital and I couldn't leave. And everyone kept saying, you have to leave. You have to take care of yourself. And I'm like, no, like after the baby's right. been home and he's your baby, you can't just leave your baby in a hospital. Like no judgment to people who do everyone's got to do what they got to do. But me personally, I never left, never left the room unless Justin was there or my mother-in-law or my mom, or like somebody had to, like, I never left Jackson alone if I didn't have to, except for one with Lindsay. Do you know Lindsay? I think it's like red hair. She's red hair. She's a, I should talk to her too. She's, she is also a godsend because she let me leave when Jackson was withdrawing from drugs. And I left for longer than she said I could leave. And she's like, I thought you were never coming back. I need it out. You're like, I can't do it. I can't watch this. (laughs) Anyways. Um, so yeah, I think it's something like when you've had your kid, like when it's your kid and then you leave it, it's so you can't leave the hospital. It's so too hard. No, it's way too hard. Like I had a hard time simply going to the cafeteria just to get food. And I remember my husband's like, do you want to like go home and shower? And I was like, yeah, I have a shower here. I'm good. Like there is no physical reason for me to leave. My, my poor mother would like drive in between like her meetings and everything and would bring us food because I had such a hard time even walking to the cafeteria. Cause I'm like, I can't leave him. And I remember the one time that I left him to go to the cafeteria and that's when they decided to put the NG tube down. And I mean, they have to do an x-ray to make sure that it goes down the right tube and it goes down properly and all that jazz. Well, I didn't realize they were doing it. So when I come back and I see a team in there, I'm ah. like, oh my gosh. Oh, automatically I'm like, he's coded. Like, this is like the worst day ever. And they're like, we're putting the NG tube, but I couldn't go in because of radiation. So it was like, okay, this is great. Like we're, we're hard to walk up to. Here. Yeah. I was like, okay. And this is why I don't leave the room. This is exactly the reason. Oh my gosh. So Declan eventually does make a complete recovery and sometime later they seal the deal. So we got engaged in 2018. We actually eloped in 2020. We That's eloped amazing. in March of 2020 because we had pushed the wedding back. Just, you know, like we were just trying to figure it out. Like we weren't sure where we wanted to get married. It was this whole song and dance. And then we finally were like, okay, this is it. And then COVID hit. And we saw that COVID was not going to go away anytime in the foreseeable future. And so right before lockdown on March 23rd, we drove up to the Superstition uh, Mountains and my best guy friend actually is ordained and he married us. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Knowing that she had two kids, I asked, when did they decide to have the second? So we actually decided that we wanted to start trying prior to getting married. We kind of just felt like it was time. We felt like Declan was at a good age. We were in a good place to be able to start trying for a baby. And we had said, I had made the comment of, I will not have another baby until we get married. Because my big thing was, I won't not have the children's last name. Like that was like something I was super adamant about. And my husband completely understood and respected that. Um, so we got married on March 23rd 
And we found out the end of April that we were pregnant with Kennedy. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, we got we got pregnant with her within the first week of marriage. I love it. Must have been yeah. a good honey, a good home honeymoon. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> she is a pandemic baby for sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or a quarantine baby. I think that's what they call them. Yeah. She had me taking Zofran within the first 10 weeks of pregnancy, which most mamas know, like you try and do everything to avoid the Zofran in the first trimester. She decided that was not going to be the case for me. So She had me so, so sick and just super fatigued and my hormones, my poor husband probably thought that he had a second wife that he didn't know about personality wise because I was all over the place. And then she gave us a scare around 17 weeks where we thought she had a cardiac issue. There's just so much irony in Brittany's life. So the cardiac medical assistant experiences life as a heart mom. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break. Do you like cute t-shirts? Do you like my podcast? Well, I like both. And I need help to support my podcast, but I don't want you left empty-handed. So head to shewhoisapparel.com and use my code BEYOND to get 50% off of all the adorable clothes and accessories and I'll get some commission so we both win. I love the two shirts that I got. Plus, since I only have two, I'm more inspired to do laundry more often to get to wear them. Who am I kidding? I wear them dirty quite often. Well, back to the show. So around 17 weeks, I had, I I don't know what drove me to do it, but I decided to step on the scale because I was like, you know what? I feel like I've lost weight since my last appointment with my OB. I stepped on the scale and realized that I had lost five pounds in a week and knew that wasn't normal. Called my OB, which ironically enough, um, the Mercy Gilbert location, my OB is on the third floor. So if I ever need them, I just jet right up. I was like, I plan that out accordingly, Um, but I called my OB and they were like, yeah, we need to see you. So I go in thinking it's going to be a pretty easy appointment. I text my, my supervisor, my practice administrator. And I was like, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, I'm going up really quick. We're going to do a quick check of the baby. And then I'm going to come back down. And the medical assistant comes in and she does the scanning for the heart rate and she can't find a heartbeat. And I try not to panic because I'm like, you know what? Every now and again, they can't get it. So she brings the doctor in and doctor checks. Doctor can't find a heartbeat. So now I'm panicking. Now I'm freaking out thinking, oh my God, like the worst is happening. And I had made a comment to the doctor who she was unbelievably amazing. And I had told her that I just, I had a weird feeling. I was like, I just have a mom gut feeling and I don't know what it is and I can't explain it, but something's wrong. And that was enough for her to look at me and say, we're getting an ultrasound because she was just going to make me come back and just get checked again. And the second that I said that she goes, when a mom has a feeling, a mom has a feeling. So they put me on the monitor and found baby, found her heartbeat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like instant wave of relief. And I'm watching this and the poor sonographer doesn't realize what I do for a living. So she's sitting there and she's like, yep, there's the heartbeat. There's this, she's describing everything. And I, I stopped her and I pointed at it and I said, her heart rate is 70 beats per minute. That's not normal. And she kind of looks at me, looks at the monitor, looks at me again. And she goes, you work medicine. And I was like, I work cardiology. Let's be specific of what I do. And she goes, okay. She's like, then, you know, that is not normal. So I sat there and I watched it for a little bit. And it consistently, she never got higher than 70 beats per minute. And I said, something's wrong. So I go back in the room and instant, like I'm trying to like calm myself. And and this is during the pandemic. So my husband wasn't permitted to be at this appointment. So I'm by myself. I'm panicking. I'm freaking out. And the doctor comes in and she just has this look on her face. And I I told her, I was like, okay, I, I know something's wrong. So let's just, let's cut to the chase. Let's get to where we need to go with this. And she said, I don't know what's wrong, but I think that your daughter has heart block and instant tears. Just, I just started crying my eyes out. And 
She goes, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I would put money on the fact that your daughter has heart block. And of course, working where I do, I know exactly what that means. And like, I know exactly where we're going from here. So she said that she put in a call to a doctor that she knows across the street. That is a maternal fetal medicine doctor. She said, you're going to go there right now. She's fitting you into her schedule. Um, and she's going to do a, a, like a thorough scan to see what's going on. And I said, okay, great. And I start maneuvering over there. I call my husband hysterical. Um, in the midst of this, while I was still in the initial OB office, I, I probably, I know I looked crazy to her. I started laughing and she looks at me and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just ironic of all things that could be wrong with my baby. It's a potential heart issue. I'm like, just the irony alone is just almost comical at this point. So I go over to the maternal fetal. My husband was able to find someone to come watch my son and he hustles over there and he gets there. We are on the ultrasound for 45 minutes and for 45 minutes straight, her heart rate never exceeded 70 beats per minute. She never picked up from that. So of course I'm like, well, that's it. And in the midst of this, I have made a call to one of the cardiologists that I knew that worked for PCH who poor thing was camping at the time. So she got my texts like randomly. So she had (laughs) called me back to let me know like what, what I could expect. Um, so we sat in the maternal fetal after Anne sat in her office and she basically said, there's one of two things that could be happening. Either I have some kind of a disorder that I'm not aware of. And therefore I have to get blood tested to be able to see if that's what's causing this or my daughter has a heart defect. And I said, okay, (laughs) where do we go from here? And she's like, well, we wait on your blood results but you need to see a fetal cardiologist. I'm like, good thing I know some people like (laughs) conveniently enough. And she's like, we'll put in a request, but usually they see you at about 20 weeks. So I remember calling my manager hysterical saying, this is what's going on, that I can't get seen for three weeks because of like some kind of a protocol. And she had said, no, that's no. That's not the case at all. Actually, if it's a heart block, we need to see you now. She got me in that very day. Oh my um, gosh, your life. You know how long it took me to wait from it's stupid that I'm jealous of this, but <laughs> no, but it's true though. I mean, if you it think took about it, a I, month I, to have a diagnosis for me. I t- I took I took my husband like constantly. I'm like, the fact that we have the contact that we do, we are so blessed because. I called my manager and told her what was going on just to tell her, like, because obviously she was worried. I was supposed to go back to work and said, yeah, no, I'm not coming back today. So I called her and I told her everything. And she gives me a call right back. And she said, we have one of the, it was the manager for the echocardiogram sonographers. She's like, she is driving from Phoenix to Gilbert. She will meet you there. You're getting scanned today. Like head over there now. So, I mean, I don't know what, what strings had to be pulled. I'm not entirely sure. So they scanned me. And of course, of course, my sweet, sweet angel daughter decided to have the perfect heart rate through all of this. And they, they, um, Dr. Lynn Blade was the fetal doctor that I saw initially. And he said, I, I don't know what's happening. He's like, she looks great. Her heart looks great. She never dipped. Like she looks perfect. So he said he wanted to see me back in a couple of weeks. Well, because he's mainly Phoenix, I went out and I actually switched to Dr. McLaughlin, who's the fetal cardiologist I work for. She's also a good friend of mine. So I, I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just kind of change over to her. And she saw me and everything looked good. Kennedy had a couple of dips um, where she went bradycardic for a little bit, but would pick back up. Overall, she looked okay. So they did an EKG on her when she was born and she was completely perfect. She was completely perfect. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I will never let her live this down. Never. She put me through it so much. And of course it's like that moment where you go from, I see these kids on a daily basis. I see the the kids like Justin who has the pacer, like had she had heart block, she would have gotten a pacemaker implanted her first couple of days of life. Oh my like, gosh. so I see these, yeah, I see these kids all the time and I'm like, I understand it. I know what these parents go through now. Like 
to an extent, I obviously don't know it long term, but I know how scary that must have been for them because I just lived it. Obviously, she knows this and I know this, that we both consider her really lucky to not have had to really go through the whole journey of being a heart mom. But she still did experience the scare of wondering if something is wrong with your child. And I find it really interesting and I'm almost grateful that she did have this experience and I wonder how it affected her work moving forward. I have always been very much an empath. Like I am very empathetic to people's emotions. I tend to take on people's emotions. I feel what they feel. I cry when they cry. Like I, and I, I love my patients. I do. I'm, I'm very attached to them, but this took it to an entirely different level where it was one of those that like, I love my patients, but it made me love the families. It made me love the mothers specifically of, I can't even imagine how difficult this must be for you because I had that, what I consider to be such a tiny, tiny little scare in the broad spectrum of what you guys have to go through on a daily basis. So we've heard two different stories on this sides of the spectrum where you have a little scare and it turns into nothing. And then you have a huge scare and it turns into be life-threatening and life-ending. And it's just crazy how every story goes its own way. I am so grateful that things turned out the way for Brittany that they did because I need her. I need her there as Jackson's medical assistant and I don't need her next to me fighting this battle. We need our support on both sides. Trust me, I would much rather be there for you than having to be beside <laughs> you. So I am so, so thankful that everything turned out okay. With this new perspective on things... I asked her, what is the hardest thing that she's gone through as an MA? Well, about, I want to say it was four months ago, we lost a patient. And oh, that no. was probably the hardest thing was when, when they don't make it, when you feel like you've done everything that you can and they just, they just don't make it. And that, that took quite the toll. It was one of those, the last appointment that we had with the patient on was when we decided that they needed to go on to palliative care and that mm. they weren't they weren't going to make it. And it was an infant, so that made it really, really tough. But it's one of those that you try and remind yourself that, that in those circumstances and, like, you know, you did everything that you could and at the same time that patient is very much in a better place because their place was not here. They weren't their, their best true self on Earth's side, so they needed to, they needed to gain their wings. I really wanted to know how she coped with this because I've never thought of it being on the other side of things, watching people lose their loved ones and working so hard to do everything you can to keep this patient alive and they still don't make it. How does one deal with that? Um, I squeezed my babies extra tight. That was the first thing that I did was I hugged my kids extra tight and reminded myself how thankful and how blessed I am to have two very healthy little, little kids. Um, I would like to say that I leaned a lot into my faith, but that would be a really big fat lie. I actually did the, quite the opposite because I was very angry about the fact that an innocent life was taken so suddenly. So it was one of those that I actually deferred from my faith for a few months, which put like, that was like a whole emotional spiral. You still believe and you know that that's, you know, you believe in your God and you believe in like the, the whole, you know, heaven versus hell. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, but how do you... How does someone so great and so, you know, magical and wonderful and does all these things for everybody take a child? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. And it took a few months for me to be able to step inside the church again. It took a few months for me to, like, actually be able to pick up my Bible again and um, actually lean into my faith and kind of rely on that. And once I did, I was, I was very much healed from the inside out. I consider it so courageous that Brittany opened up about this, and I could have said this word for word. When everything was going on with Jackson, I saw so many other heart moms turning to faith and trust and belief, and even Tana, her, her fighting spirit was so inspirational. And here I was, in my own little self-pity, just feeling angry, so angry at God for letting Jackson suffer like this. And it took me a long time to get over that anger as well. And once I did and I turned to my God, I really was healed. And I realized Jackson is his. He's not mine. And accepting that that knowledge 
didn't make any of it any easier. I'm so grateful she was brave enough to share this and I could not relate more. I kind of leaned more into my kids. I focused on them. I focused on their happiness. I focused on the fact that they are wonderfully perfect and very, you know, they're healthy and they're, they're fine. And that helped me get through it. And I also focused on my patients. I focused on what I could do for the patients that were still here and how I could still help them and get them through their day-to-day lives. And of course, I wanted to know her most rewarding thing about being an MA, and I swear I did not pay her to say any of this. It sounds like I'm biased because it is Jackson. He is the most rewarding story. And oh that's gosh. really not me. It's not me being biased. It's true. Just thinking about when I first met him to where he is now, it's just one of those that I, I look back and it's, it's almost like a proud, like a proud mama bear moment. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have overcome so much and you have beaten the odds and you have, you know, stared death in the face and you've done all of these incredible things. And he is the most bright and vibrant kid. And every time he comes in the office, we are just so ecstatic to see him because he's so happy and he's so uplifting. He gives the best squeezes I think I've ever experienced in my entire life. (laughs) Um, And he's just an overall, he is a positive light in the things that we do. And that is truly why he really is my favorite patient because he really is like one of those like, miracle stories that I I love sharing his story like it makes me so happy to talk about him makes me so happy make me cry he was my first complex patient not one of he was my first complex patient he was the first one that I had to understand what Rivadio meant what all of these medications meant for him you know Prioros and everything and he it's funny because he really taught me a lot, you know, Aww. for being such a tiny little, tiny little thing. Yeah, because I, I think you're the one that helped me get him through his like weaning off a of drug because we finally got out of the hospital and then he weaned off of his hard drugs for three months. And yeah. you were like, mm-hmm. I didn't know it was you, but you were my person. <laughs> yes, that, that was me. As you can tell, I am just so grateful that cardiology chose Brittany and that she had all the experiences she had. And also I loved this chat where I really learned that everyone has a story behind what we see. To me, Brittany was just my cardiologist's medical assistant, but she's a daughter who lost a father. She's a sister to a brother who struggles with depression and anxiety. She's a granddaughter to an amazing man who inspired her to finish schooling. She's a support for her mom. She's a wife and she's a mother to two amazing kids. And she has this whole story that I would have never known if I didn't ask. And with that, I asked, and I'll always ask, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? That it may not seem like it in the moment, but we love your kids as much as you do. We really do. We are very passionate about what we do. We are very humbled by what we do. And we love our, at least I do. I love my patients so much like they are my own. And in regards to life in general, she said that it's not, it's not always perfect, but it's, it's worth the ride. Thanks for listening to this episode. (laughs) Episode. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening to this episode. Leave a review so that we can uncover more stories and connect more humans. Bye now.